Bethesda, do you love the Word of the Lord? Well, let me just unpack a little something from my heart today. I'm doing it from a more of a topical approach than an expository approach. Um, it comes from the heart of a pastor who loves you, and uh, just something I want to share. And I really, I really want to help you today. I'm asking the Lord to allow me to do that. In fact, let me just ask Him again right now. Father, you know my heart today. And I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart will be pleasing and acceptable to you. Holy Spirit, it is always amazing to see how you can take the weakness of my lips and my thoughts and do incredible things in the hearts of people who are listening to you and who are open to hear you. So Lord, will you minister to us today by the power of the precious Holy Spirit. We give these next few minutes to you. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. C.S. Lewis said this in his book, Mere Christianity. Surely what a man does when he has taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he truly is. Surely what pops out before a man has a chance to put on a disguise is the truth about that man. If there are rats in your basement and you want to see them, all you have to do, I don't know why you would, if you want to see them, all you have to do is go there and suddenly turn on the light. The suddenness did not create the rats, it only prevented them from hiding. And in the same way, when all of a sudden something makes you very angry, it doesn't mean that the situation caused the anger, it means that the anger was, has always been there, it just showed up. Are you having fun yet? How many of you wish I'd go find something else to talk about already? Oh my. You and I are real people, and we are very capable of reacting when we are surprised. And often that surprise that we can encounter brings out a reaction in us that we're not very proud of. That's certainly true for me. But the reality of it is this. As long as we are in this flesh, and we are, and we have this treasure in earthen vessels, and we do, we are going to get hurt. We're going to get beat up. We're going to become angry. We're going to be anxious, and sometimes we will cry. But often our reaction will be that, that we become afraid, become afraid. A favorite verse of many is found in Isaiah 54, 17 when it says this, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It is such a comforting verse because it reminds us that when life brings us a surprise, and when something comes at us, that it does not have to control our lives. It does not have to prosper. It doesn't have to flourish within us. I love that verse, but I have to tell you the part of it that arrests my attention this morning is the verb in the verse, in that sentence, no weapon formed against me. It's interesting because it means, when you look into the word, in the depths of the word, it means to have something custom designed, custom, something tailor-made just for you. The word itself is actually, um, uh, it's a pottery word, which meant you go to the potter's shop and you say, these are the specs that I need a particular vase or vase, I think Des would say vase probably, vase or vase at my house, and I, I'm going to put it in a particular location, and here are the measurements, here's the dimensions, and then the potter makes it exactly to your specification. That's what that word actually means. It's a, it's a pottery word. 
The verse also serves as a reminder to us the way that it's used in this Scripture, that the enemy knows exactly how to custom design something that will flip on the lights in your basement, and he knows how to do that in a way and show the rats that are there. For what may tempt you, what may um, cause you to cry or be angry, or what may cause you to be fearful may not be the same thing that tempts me or makes me cry or causes me to be angry or fearful. And that is because every attack, every weapon formed against you is tailor-made just for you. Isn't that special? We've all had it happen. We, we wake up one morning and we, you see a spot on your skin and or in some place you discover something or you have a new ache or you new pain, a new pain, and so we do what every good American would do uh, scientifically. You go Google it, right? And you find out all kinds of scary stuff and you start reading and your eyes get bigger and bigger and then you start planning your funeral. And it's as if... When it comes to that fear that someone has flipped on the light in your basement and the rats of fear started scurrying around. In light of that, it dawned on me one day, and here's what I want you to hear plainly this morning, that fear is a revelation. Fear is a revelation. It reveals something about me, and it shows me the areas of my life where I am challenged to trust God. You know you're not allowed to go quiet on me. When we are fearful, it is a revelation about us. You and I want to um, judge ourselves by how nice we are and how together we are here in church on Sunday morning for this time that we are here. But as uh, was it Pastor Michael who just said, the real test of our Christianity is when we leave here, we get on 820 or I-35 in a traffic jam, and then we see how we act. That's when someone's flipped on the lights in our basement, huh? The prophet Elijah cannot judge himself by 1 Kings chapter 18 because that's where he was defeating this false religion that Israel had embraced called the worship of Baal. 1 Kings 18 did not define him, but 1 Kings 19, you can read it at home this afternoon, became the rat in the chapter for him. Because here's what happens in that chapter. He hears a rumor that a woman named Jezebel is out to kill him, and suddenly the lights flip on, and it shows his heart, and we see that he's not just a guy who knows how to rise and defeat false religions. He's also the guy who, through some rumor, is capable of becoming afraid just like you and I are. In fact, he becomes so fearful that he literally fears for his life. And the interesting thing about all of that, if you read it carefully, it's that he becomes afraid of a woman, some person that he has never and will never meet, never encounter at all. And that's why someone, I saw this and really thought it was interesting, someone defined fear as this, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. Say that with me, false, one more time, false. So when the presence of fear comes into your life, it doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. Thank God, huh? Doesn't mean that you're not saved, but it does mean that that is the time for you to make the effort to say to that fear, you might be a visitor, but you are not going to be a resident in this place. 
So 1 Kings 19 is the rat chapter. And in there, the Bible says that Elijah felt worthless. He said, I'm no better than my fathers, no better than my ancestors, those who've gone before me. Elijah felt hopeless. The Bible says he ran for his life. He felt isolated. I'm the only one left, he said. And he was unable to cope because we hear him in that chapter saying, I've had enough, I just can't go on anymore. And he even wanted to take his own life. This is the chapter where the lights go on for Elijah. It's his rat chapter. Elijah, though, thought his problem was Jezebel. But we all have a Jezebel, don't we? Don't we all have something that's looming over us, causing some sort of a false threat to us? But Jezebel wasn't a problem. Jezebel was the catalyst. Jezebel was the lights being flipped on in the basement. And church, I know you know this, but let's remember that Jesus did not say, if you follow me, you will never have issues. How many know that's true? And yet I am always and constantly amazed when Christians think that because they've become Christians, they shouldn't have any problems. Or they're surprised at the intensity of what they're, what they're facing. Nothing could be further from the truth because it is God's presence, not comfortable circumstances that bring peace to your life. Would you like me to say that again? It is God's presence, not comfortable circumstances, that brings peace to your life. You don't need comfortable circumstances to have peace. You just need the presence of an almighty God. Do you know that a lot of things happen to you when you experience fear? I've, I've read. Science says when we experience fear, our body activates the nervous system, our heart races, our breathing grows faster our, and more shallow, our muscles become intense, and blood begins to leave the brain and start pumping the heart. It's amazing what fear can do to you, and it's amazing the stories our minds can manufacture. Can I get a witness in here today? I, maybe it's not this way for you, but lying in bed at night, don't you find your mind racing and creating all kinds of narratives that are crazy? I'm the only one? Okay. Well, I think no one knew fear more than the lady who wrote uh, a book that many of you have read and many of you at least know about. It's considered to be one of the top Christian books in recent history. Her name was Corrie Ten Boom. I've talked about her before many times. She wrote a book called, you know the title? The Hiding Place. In Amsterdam, she and her family were responsible for hiding Jews when the Nazis were coming in and taking them to, to concentration camps. They had a tiny little um, uh, secret room in their home that probably should only hold two to three people, but they would literally put 12 to 14 people, according to her book, in this hiding place to protect them from the Nazis. This went on until the Nazis found them, and for almost two years, Corey and her parents and her siblings were in a Nazi concentration camp called Ravensbrück. And her book makes it clear that Corey knew what it was to face fear, extreme, intense fear, not only fear for her own life, but fear for, for her family and, and all of those around her, because she had no idea what she might wake up to the next morning. I say that because I know there are some of us in the room today who might be in a season like that. You have no idea what you're going to wake up to tomorrow morning. You don't have no idea what will be in your inbox or what message you'll have tomorrow morning. 
And after the death of all of her family in that concentration camp, she went on to live decades after. And as one who has intimately known fear, literally looked at it in the face, dealt with it earnestly, she gives us these words. She says this. This is so good. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. You are carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. How many of you are convicted already? You see, you and I were created to live today, to live in the fullness of God's presence and His mercies today. How many are thankful that when you got up this morning, there were new mercies for you? As I often say, I used up yesterday's. So I'm thankful for new mercies every morning. You and I were designed only to carry today's battles, but when we start to carry the battles of Monday and Tuesday, then it can easily render us unable to even go on and face what we need to face. Corey Ten Boom's words echo the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 34, when, she, when he said, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. It was meditating on this verse from Matthew, which really showed me and triggered the idea for me that fear is a revelation. And there's two things, if you're taking notes, two things that it reveals to us, and I'm going to try to be shorter today. That's, I said try to be shorter today. Number one, what does fear reveal in us? Number one, it says, I need the people of God. Say that with me. I And number two, it says, I need the peace of God. Say that. Now, give me just a few minutes to kind of unpack this. When I am fearful, I am so grateful for the people of God who can bring me back to sanity. Because when the enemy has formed a weapon that is custom fit and custom designed for Dan, knows where the weaknesses are, knows where the vulnerabilities are, knows just the right place, and my mind can begin creating narratives and designing this and designing that and, and trying to, in my effort to try to be ahead of it or, or, or try to get a, a grip on how we're going to deal with this, I can get myself in a real mess. Is that true of anybody else? Please raise your hand, please. Well, I am thankful for godly men and women in my life and the people of God who can bring me back to sanity. If you've ever read the journals of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, you'll see that he says what changed the scope of his ministry uh, was when a man said to him, remember, John, you cannot serve God alone. You must therefore either find companions or make them. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. He's basically saying this, you can't do this Christian life all by yourself. No matter how badly you may want to, no matter how much you may choose to go into isolation, no matter what pains have caused you to want to withdraw and pull yourself away, we see it all the time in folks. Well, it was just too painful to be involved. I'm going to come off the radar. But this is saying that you can't do Christian life all by yourself. No matter how much you may want to, you need the body of Christ, and I need the body of Christ. 
You need the people of God in your life just like I do. And he says, if you don't have the right companions, then make them. Don't just assume it's always going to come to you. You will have to put forth the effort to make. Well, how do you do that, Pastor Dan? Well, let me help you. Number one, you can show up at the prayer service at 6 o'clock on Sunday night. There's some wonderful people of God there that you can meet, people who would pray with you. By the way, I've had people say to me recently, Pastor Dan, I've always actually been in, kind of intimidated to, you know, to pray out loud. It's just something I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of shy or backward about that, but it's in the prayer service when I'm praying with one other person, not in front of a crowd, that I've learned how to be comfortable praying with another person. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. Come to the prayer service. Show up at any of the myriad of service opportunities we have available at Bethesda. If you want to meet the people of God, the children's department could always use more volunteers. The youth department could use more volunteers. Bethesda Cares, our compassion ministries, could use more volunteers. Every ministry of Bethesda could use more volunteers. And not only is the church blessed by your volunteering, you are the one who's truly blessed because you'll be interacting with other people who need you and you need them. Could I get an amen? Because in those situations, you are creating relationships that you cannot create in this sanctuary on Sunday morning at 1030. This is a wonderful, necessary, and needed part of our worship, the corporate worship, the corporate gathering of God's people, where we come together, we're inspired, we're encouraged by the, by the worship and by the, uh, the, the music that is presented to us. All of the, that's a necessary part, but this is not the place where you go into depth of relationship. So if you are one who comes in and may come late, leave early, and just see the back of someone's head, you are not going to get the kind of koinonia, the kind of relationship interaction that you need with the people of God. That's good, Dan, it really is. They don't like it, but it's good. When you are facing fear, dear friend, you need the people of God. Proverbs 12, 25 says this, worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. Let me say it plainly. You may think you can't do anything. I don't really have any gifts. I don't really have any talents. Uh, I have really, there's no really, nowhere I can serve and I don't have a ministry. Well, let me just tell you one that you can have right now. You can have the ministry of encouragement. This morning, today, right now, sitting on the pew on which you are sitting at this moment is someone or several someones who need a word of encouragement. And I know I say it often, but please, please remember, you have the ability, according to this proverb that we just read, to take some weight off of someone with a good word. And with that word, you can turn someone's anxiety into gladness. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's why we have the body of Christ. It's why we are the people of God. That's why there's value in the corporate gathering of God's people. And every one of us can fulfill this uh, Proverbs verse, not just the pastors. Let me just tell you, if you consistently encourage people, you will be a person in high demand in this church. We need more encouragers. Yeah, well, pastor, how do I do that? Well, let me, let me help you. You know what you could say? I'm afraid it won't sound very spiritual. Let me tell you what spiritual would be today. Boy, you sure look good today. That's not spiritual. Yes, it is spiritual. You could say to Pastor Josh, you got such a nice haircut. This both of the, both hairs are, you know. 
You can say to Pastor Brent, it's, I can see that you're losing weight. Hallelujah, Pastor Brent. You can tell Pastor Michael he did a nice job with that bottle of Clairol covering up the gray. There's all kinds of things. Someone be sure he hears that, okay? Like, not right now. Don't text him right now. You have the opportunity to take anxiety in someone and turn it into gladness. What a privilege and what a joy that is. We need the people of God. Say that. Personalize it. I need. Say it. You know, when you get on an airplane, there are at least 10,000 parts that make up that airplane. No one of those parts can fly by itself. But when you put all those parts together, it can take 200,000 pounds off the ground. It can take it 30,000 feet up in the air. It can send it hundreds of miles across the nation at a fast speed. And when you put all the parts together, you will go higher than you've ever gone. You will go faster than you've ever gone. And you will go further than you've ever gone. By yourself, you cannot fly. But you put the body of Christ together and we find we have the ability to do things we could never do on our own. Hallelujah. Solitary religion, Christianity by yourself, it just doesn't work. Every one of us need the people of God, but there's something else that we need. Do we need the people of God? Yes. But people alone are not enough to fight fear. We need something more when fighting fear. I don't know if you know this, but fear can be daunting. Fear can be scary. Fear can be paralyzing. I was reading a story of two explorers who were on a jungle safari in Africa when suddenly a ferocious lion jumped in front of them. One of the guys said, just keep calm. Just remember what we read in that book on wild animals. If you stay perfectly still and look the, the lion in the eye, he will turn and run. The other guy said, great. You've read the book and I've read the book. I'm not sure the lion has read the book. You see, when you're looking at that lion eye to eye, you need something more than to know you've just read a book about fear. Some great helps out there. So here's what I want you to know. People can comfort you, which is why you need the people of God. But only God can bring peace to you. People the body of Christ, the people of God can comfort you, but only the Lord can bring peace to you. And the problem comes when we try to depend upon people to bring peace when only God can bring peace. People can comfort us, thank God, and get us through a couple of days. But here's what can happen so easily, dear one. When you don't find your peace in God, then you can easily start to look to some relationship where you put God expectations on that person who can never meet those expectations. They have no hope of meeting those expectations. People can comfort you, but only God can bring peace to you. I've learned that the number one highlighted Bible verse on Kindles around the world, do you know what it is? It's not John 3.16. It's not the 23rd Psalm. It's Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Number one highlighted verse on people's Kindles, people who read Scripture on, you know, on a device. And it says this, Philippians 4.6, be anxious for nothing. 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How many love that verse? Why would that be the number one highlighted verse? Well, very simply because we're living in a world that breeds anxiety and, 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 and causes us to live in fear. I love the way the message translates this verse when it says, don't fret or worry. Same verse. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. What's Paul teaching us when he says that? He's teaching us that when you face your moment with fear, replace your worry with prayer. That's what we're to do. Most of us, when we face that moment, you know what we would prefer to do? And I would dare say most of us do this. We would rather pick up the phone and call someone that we know will sympathize with us and we know will say something to make us feel better. That's what we do. I don't feel good. I'm, I'm fearful. I'm, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. I have all this anxiety. Surely I can call Susie or Joe or, or whomever, and they will make me feel better. But let me just remind all of us, that person on the phone may be able to offer a quick word of comfort to you, but that's all they have. That's all they have for you. Only God can give you the peace that you need. Hallelujah. I'm going to encourage all of us to go, including me, into our system preferences and reset the default so that when we get blindsided, the first thing we do is pray. The first thing we do is pray because people can comfort you, but only God can bring peace to you. Paul goes on to say this. He says, God sends His peace right to the worry area, and it will stand guard. God's peace Dear one, for you this morning is standing guard, like armed guards, to protect you against those rogue thoughts that can fill your mind. A mind that is worried is a mind that is without peace. And a mind that is without peace comes from a person who has not prayed. I tried to find an easier way of saying that. Your doctor cannot give you peace, dear one. Your counselor cannot give you peace. Your pastor, as much as we try, as much as we want to, we cannot give you peace. One man said it this way, if you're going to worry, then there's no need to pray. But if you're going to pray, then there's no need to worry. Let's say that together. Have you got it up there? Say it. Come on, church. If I love what 1 Peter says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. When Becky and I were first married, <clears throat> I know I've told this or parts of the story before. Um, we were living in Rockford, Illinois, on staff at a very fine church there. Actually, I went on staff right before we got married, and then we married, and she came and joined me. Uh, fine church. <clears throat> and... Uh, 
something happened to me during that period of time, and that is this. I became very fearful of flying. I became what they call a white knuckler. You know what I'm saying? White knuckler. I tried to hide it, tried to disguise it when, you know, nobody could see how, how apprehensive and anxious I really was. And I think what had happened, um, I'm, I'm sure what had happened, that is in a, uh, uh, in a compacted period of time, I had seen or been aware, very aware of several uh, airplane accidents. This would have been in the early to mid-70s when there was a DC-9 that um, took off from O'Hare Field and an engine fell off and 263 people, as I recall, um, passed away in, in that accident. And we were very close. Rockford's not very far from Chicago. So we were very aware of this, filling the news. And it was just shortly after that um, that the senior pastor of the church, uh, who, was a, who owned a, an airplane and was a skilled pilot himself, he, uh, board, he got himself and all of the church board members on the plane, and they flew to an Indian mission in South Dakota to go do some work, uh, construction work there. And they finished their week's work, and on the way back, there was a problem with the plane, and it went down, and in one second, the senior pastor and the entire governing body of that church was gone. It was a devastating thing. So you don't um, live through that. And those kinds of encounters, and there was another one or two not quite as impacting as those two. But you don't, you don't live through that without it having some sort of effect on you. At least it did for me. Even when we moved here, um, I was still carrying that. There was a, a pilot at that time in our church who was, I'd shared with him kind of my apprehension, and he was good to help me and give me some guidance. And, and I remember after I'd been with him one time, I, it was time for me to fly, and I got in a plane, and, and, I, got, and I, was, I was really apprehensive. And particularly, you know, when you're taking off and you're going up through the clouds, and it's bumpy going through the clouds, and hopefully you get up over them, and it's smooth, hopefully most of the time, and then you're coming back down, it's going to be bumpy again, and you try to plan and prepare for all of that. And so I'm sitting uh, in the plane, and the anxiety is building, and I'm thinking, I really, really don't want to do this, but I've got to go. And I happened to look over to my left, and sitting just on the other side of the aisle was a gentleman dressed in a pilot's uniform, and he was obviously... Uh, uh, just commuting to go to his next assignment, to start his day of work, wherever, wherever we were going, you know, that day. So he's sitting there, and all of a sudden, something hit me. I thought, if anybody ought to know the sensations and the sounds that are at all threatening, it'd be, it'd be him. He would know. So the thought came to me this way, I'm going to do whatever he does. So without looking like I'm stalking him or being weird... I just thought, you know, I'm going to react the way he reacts because he knows what's going on. So when he crossed his legs, I crossed my leg. He folded. I can't do that for very long. He folded his arms. I folded my arms. He got out a book. I thought, I got a book. I'll read a book. He reclined his seat. I reclined my seat. He went to sleep. I thought, hallelujah, this is a good, this is a good thing. Whatever he was doing, I was doing. And it just happened to hit me one day. That's exactly what the disciples had a chance to do because the master pilot was on the boat in Mark chapter 4 when that boat was rocking and reeling. And when they found Jesus, what was he doing? He was sleeping. He was relaxed. He was chilled. He was not worried at all. And what they should have done, they should have reclined their seats and saying, if he's sleeping, I'm going to sleep. And let me tell you what that's called. That's called resting in the gospel. What's the gospel? What is gospel? It's the good news 
That's called resting in the gospel. And I remind you again, we may look to people to get comfort, but only God can give peace. So as I begin my closing this morning, Pastor Brent, and I want you to begin closing number one. It's no guarantee. I'm going to give you one of those profound phrases used in the New Testament as I bring this to a close. In the 27 books of the New Testament, this phrase is used in 16 of them. Paul uses it in almost all of his books, some of the other writers. And here is the phrase. The phrase is this, grace and peace. Grace and peace. And please notice the order because there is no peace unless you have grace. Many people pursue peace. They think that's what I need. I'm in turmoil in my life, and they never find it because they have never found the grace grace that God can give them. If you want peace, you must find grace first. It's grace and peace. What is grace? Grace is what you get when you are born again. What does that mean? It means that to have, get, receive grace, it means that you get something that you don't deserve. I am saved by grace, is in Ephesians. Over and over and over again, Paul and other New Testament writers were giving us the starting place. You start the, the journey with Jesus. You get His grace. That's the beginning. And then His peace will follow. And I'm just wondering today, in the prayer of my heart, has been this. Maybe there's someone in the room today that you realize you've had it backwards. You've been trying to find peace when what you need is grace. You've gone about it. You've gotten the cart before the horse, as it it were. You're trying to find peace because that's what you sense you need. But what you need is the grace of God. But the gospel to us today, Bethesda, is this. Pursue Jesus and you'll find His grace. And when you find His grace, His peace will follow. We had uh, an opportunity this week that was quite amazing. We met some wonderful people. There was a lady who was um, introduced to the pastors and some of the church leaders. She had an incredible story. She, to me, she was a young lady, I'm going to guess um, early 40s. She told us about her three children um, approaching their young adult years. She talked about her love for them and, and how proud she was of all of them in their various ways. And then she went on to tell us about the fact that it's been less than two years that her husband passed away. He had leukemia and he, um, other forms of cancer that had just had ravaged his body. In fact, it won't be two years until June of this year. So you can imagine there was still a, a certain sense of it being raw and... Um, her, uh, her story was very, very, very touching, and to see the grace that she was carrying with which she was carrying herself, it was, it was truly stunning. And I, in the course of just chatting with her with the pastors, I said, um, I said tell, tell me something. I said, I'm, I'm a pastor, I deal almost every week with people who are in grief, people who are hurting, people who have, feel like they've been sucker punched or there's this hole in their heart. And I, I, I've learned a lot about it myself. I have lots of things that I have observed as I've watched people go through grief and process it in their own unique ways. It has its own rhythms. It has its own... I said, I'm just curious, ma'am, what have you, what have you learned about, about grief? <clears throat> and her response to me was, 
quite interesting. She said, I think the thing I learned the most is that I really was challenged on how much I was going to trust God. Trust God with whatever the news was. I was going to trust God that God has knows the end from the beginning. He knows my life. He knows the plan that He has. He knows better than I do what's going to happen with my husband, with my children, with our circumstances. And here's what she said. <laughs> she said, I'm going to rest in the gospel. I love that phrase, resting in the gospel. What does that mean? It means resting in the good news of God's provision for you. Resting in the fact that God has everything under control. You may have your agenda. You may have your preferences. You may have your wish. You may have your incredibly strong desire of how you're hoping something's going to go. But someone who has committed their life to Jesus, someone who is truly and wholly given to Him and surrendered to Him, will fully embrace the idea of what it is to rest in the good news, rest in the gospel, and lay back in that. The good news to you and to me today is that His grace is sufficient for every need. The good news for you and I today is that He does give a peace that passes all understanding. He's the peace speaker. He knows exactly how to do that. So I, I'm just wondering, without any fanfare today, because I've asked the Lord to, to help us as we communicate this very, very, these very simple thoughts that we've given to you today. Is there anybody in the house today who's just, just by you, you would stand quickly and say, Pastor Dan, no one's coming down to the front today. We do sometimes, not going to do that today. Just say, Pastor Dan, I'm, I am battling some fears. I, uh, it could be through news. It could be that you've received recently. It could be something that's come over a period of time. And there's something that's been said today that I'm going to walk out of here with that I'm trusting the Lord to help me with. If that's you, would you just stand so that I can pray for you? Who's, who's battling some fear? Whoever it is. Balcony. The truth is probably all of us could stand. While you're standing, let's just uh, sing this with me. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take And just to rest upon His promise, just to know. Come on, church, lift it up in harmony, sing it. Jesus, how I proved. Those of you who are standing, would you just lift your hands gently before the Lord? Lord, I, you know our frame. You know um, our propensity.
you know how, you know exactly what the enemy is trying to do to us, and yet you have made provision. So I pray for the precious people who are standing today. Because we stand in the truth of your word that says this, when the enemy would come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord would raise up a standard against him. So I'm praying tonight for sweet peace for all that are standing here today. As they lay their head on their pillow, they're going to say, I'm going to rest tonight in the gospel. I'm going to rest in the good news of Jesus, that he's going to see to it and that he does all things well. And I'm going to rest in Christ Jesus. So let your grace and your peace be upon us in Jesus' name. The church said amen. Everyone standing, please.